you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Good morning, City on Your Hill. Um, yeah, so we're going to be opening up to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1 to 14. So while you're doing that, uh, let me introduce myself. My name is Steve, as I said. Um, I'm a second year student studying to become a teacher. Um, while I'm not doing that, I'm a part of the Bayswater GC. Woo. <laughs> cool. Let's get into it. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading... <laughs> um, you, <laughs> you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be the subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking the same kind of suffering, um, someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Silvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I've written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you a greetings. So does, my Mark, so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Steve. Long time I see you, friends. Good to see you again. Uh, if we haven't had the chance to meet before, we'd love to connect with you in the foyer after the service. Uh, as Luke said, we're going to dive into the end of this series, so that means we have good news and bad news today. Uh, I'm going to start with the good news. The good news is that today uh, I'm very proud to announce that we are opening up registrations for our very first church camp. And so today, you can lock it in. This is going to be one of the most significant weekends in, by that time, the five-year history of our church. There's going to be lots of connection, lots of fun, lots of Bible, lots of laughs, lots of new friends. Uh, We're going to be holding that at the CYC Adventure Resort down in Phillip Island on the first weekend of the September school holidays. And so you don't want to miss it, and we don't want you to miss it. Uh, And so we want to do everything we can to help you get there. And so please do uh, register early to lock in your spot. Uh, Camps can be expensive, 
So if costs are prohibitive for you, we have tried to subsidise the event for everybody to make it as affordable as possible uh, because we want you to be able to make it. But if cost is still prohibitive to you, please do uh, reach out to us, talk to us because we'd love to work out an arrangement that can help you get there. Uh, And if cost is something that you feel like you could help contribute to for somebody else, uh, please also talk to us because we'd love to set up some sponsoring arrangements. But you can head to today, coa or c-o-a-h dot co forward slash melbeast dash camp and find out more detail and sign up. That's the good news. The bad news is, as Luke mentioned, we come to the end of our series today and all the people said, oh, 10 weeks in First Peter. I hope it's been helpful. Today, Peter is going to land the plane, so let us dive in. Let us pray together. Gracious God, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, we thank you that when we read your word, when we hear your word spoken, Lord, you are speaking. And so come and speak to us today. Come and uh, change us and shape us and use for uh, the final time in this series, uh, this little book in the back end of the New Testament to make a difference in our lives and in our hearts and in our world today. Make Jesus big, we pray, so that we might see him, look to him and be made more like him. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Well, I hope the last 10 weeks has been helpful to you in thinking about how to live faithfully as a Christian. Great to hear that testimony, uh, which really does exemplify some of the things that we have heard about, about being uh, a person of of quiet integrity uh, wherever we are for the sake of Christ. And to land the plane, what Peter's going to do here in chapter 5 is, in a sense, sum up all the applications that he has put before us for the last 10 weeks, because today he's going to talk to us about humility. Chapter 5 is about humility. And humility is a much-loved theme or virtue, particularly in Australia, particularly in our society. We want our celebrities to be down-to-earth. We want our leaders to be of the people. We want our wealthy to not flaunt their wealth. And But the state of the human heart is that pride is inevitably going to expose itself. It is inevitably going to flow out. And perhaps you see this in your own life. Now, in a world with social media, it is visible for all of us, the ways that sometimes pride can, can leach out through different comments. Uh, I found a couple of examples of something known as humble bragging. Humble bragging is clothing a blatant brag about yourself in the veil of humility. That you want other people to feel sorry for you. So I have an example here. This one's from Facebook here. This, this poor woman said, I'm never exercising again, LOL. Her friend said, oh no, what happened? She said, I gained so much muscle, I can no longer fit into my wedding dress. Poor whoever this red person is. Uh, I have a, an example from Twitter as well. Someone said, I just did something very selfless. But more importantly, it was genuine, and I know it means a lot to the person in the long run. Hashtag, so worth it. Thanks so much for letting us know. It is so selfless, you had to tell everybody else. And I have one from Reddit where someone was quoting their sister. Their sister said, you cannot imagine what a bore it is having to go to the Caribbean again. Now that the villa is paid off, it would be criminal not to go on holiday there, but it's gotten old. You're so lucky not to have a second house. It's nothing but a headache. 
Such is a humble brag. We're going to get Jackie back up to play the world's smallest cello uh, for these people who are trying to show off, but in the veil of humility. And it shows us that as hard as we might try to be humble, there's something in the human heart that just can't stand humility for very long, that we have to let out and we can't quite help ourselves and our pride. And so what Peter is going to do today is talk to us about humility. It is very applicable for people like us with hearts like ours. So we're going to talk about three things today. We're going to talk about the home of humility, the how of humility, and the hope for the humble. Let's first talk about the home of humility. Peter's been writing for five chapters now, and he's uh, written to us some big things. He's written to us a whole variety of things about the theological realities that underpin our salvation. He's written to us about what Christian maturity looks like. It looks like loving one another from a pure heart. He's told us about the theological realities that kind of underpin what we're doing here today, about the church, who we are as a people. He's told us that we should, how we should relate to, to government to our masters or workplaces, to our spouses. And as God has used Peter to to bring up all these different topics and applications and challenges, Peter himself has had to learn these things. And the Bible tells us how Peter has had to go from somewhat of a a kind of a a buffoon of sorts as as he's pitched in the Gospels to becoming the leader of his church, the rock upon whom Christ would build his church. And so we know that Peter had had to learn these things through his own failure around the fire when he betrayed Jesus three times. And then again around the fire where Jesus restored him three times and set him apart for this work. And we get a sense at the start of chapter 5 that humility is one of the things that Peter learned. Because hear what Peter says to begin. In verse 1 he says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. And so Peter introduces himself, but he introduces himself in a way to show how much he's just like us. This is Peter, the apostle, who walked and talked and rubbed shoulders with Jesus, both pre-death, burial, resurrection, but then also with the risen Lord. He wants us to know that he's just like us. That he's a fellow elder, just like the leaders that he's writing to. That he's a partaker in the glory that is coming, just like you and me. Peter is just like us. And so he displays at the outset the the humility that he is calling us toward. And he does this because, we can be sure, Peter knows the gospel. He knows that the ground is flat. It is equal at the foot of the cross. Because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. None is righteous. No, not one, Romans says. No one understands. No one seeks after God. All have turned aside. That includes you. That includes me. That includes Peter. But for God so loved the world that whosoever could come and be reconciled with him. All of people have the opportunity to receive forgiveness. All people have the opportunity to be reconciled to the God that they have previously rejected. All God's people can come in and be partakers of the glory that is coming. That's true for you. That's true for me. And it's true for Peter. 
Once we had not received mercy, and now we have received mercy. Once we were not a people, and now we have. And so Peter knows this, and he knows there's this, this radical countercultural equality in the gospel. But he starts by now addressing whom he calls elders. In the Greek, the word is presbyteros, which is where we get the word presbyter, or what is known as pastor, but also the Presbyterians denomination, which is why they like elders so much because they're named after them. At the time, it was the older people in the church who would lead the church. Uh, now we kind of use elder synonymously with pastor. And so Peter is talking to those who lead these churches that he's writing to. He's talking to people like me, the pastors, or others who might lead a local church. And he says to them in, in verse 2 and 3, "'Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly.'" As God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And so you get a good insight here into how I should be doing my job. Peter uses three opposites. You should lead willingly and not like it's a chore. Lead eagerly for the sake of the people and not for shameful gain, whether that shameful gain is financial or maybe a, a bit of extra social clout or reputation. You should lead exemplarily, not domineering over the church. And it's an unfortunate reality that needs to be said, but we, we kind of know that it needs to be said. We live in a, in a day where we're becoming more and more aware of the ways that leadership can be uh, abused and misused. And it seems that as we learn that, we're also seeing it play out before us each and every week, different examples of why we should be wary of leadership, different examples of leadership failure, particularly in the church. In the last few months alone, I've heard stories of pastors using church funds to build their own brand and buy their own books, others using threatening or spiritually abusive language to bully their staff, others who have been fired for fraud or excessive spending, and it goes on and on. Perhaps you, uh, if you have an Instagram account, you might follow the, the account Preachers and Sneakers uh, on Instagram. Preachers and Sneakers is an account that was set up to kind of expose uh, some of the celebrity pastors in the world and the, the lavish clothing that they wear uh, on stage or while they're preaching and, and how much those things cost. And you kind of you, you scroll through it and you get shocked at the, what, what, what's going on under the banner of church leadership. And so we don't have to look very far to know that what does go on under the banner of church leadership is, is quite radically different sometimes than the vision Peter is painting here. These are $15 from Kmart, by the way, just, just in case you were wondering. But a celebrity pastor is an oxymoron. Peter says, rather, church leaders should be leading in humility. For sure, sometimes there are hard decisions to make. And sometimes there will be challenges or rebukes to give. Sometimes there might be necessary conflict so that the church can, can find unity. But leadership in the church, whatever the hard calls are, needs to be exercised with humility. And Peter gives a, a promise that should motivate leaders. Something better than the glitz and the glamour of being, a call, of being called a, a leader in our world. He says... And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. And so the motivation, the humility, 
is that one day glory is coming. The motivation for, for leadership is not glory now, clout now, gain now, but that humility should come now so that glory can come later. Jesus Christ is the chief presbyteros of the church, the chief shepherd of the church, and he will reward every under-shepherd with glory. But Peter doesn't just say this to leaders, because he goes on to to hone in on everybody in the church. He says in verse 5, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And so humility is the goal, humility is the mark for all of you, he says. And so the church is this household, the church is this, this home, and the defining mark of the home, the, the virtue within the home, the, the felt experience within the household should be one of humility. Peter needs to say this too, because it's not just leaders who have trouble with humility. Rather, it is all of us. Humility is always a struggle. Tim Keller uses a very helpful illustration to highlight how our ego, our inner self, is broken. Imagine with me that you go into work tomorrow and you're catching up with your colleagues on, maybe it's a Zoom call, you're catching up with your colleagues on, you know, how are you going? What's been going on? And your colleague says, after you ask them how they're going, your colleague says, man, man, I'm going really good. You know, my elbows this morning, they just feel awesome. Like, can you see this extension? Like, it's just, they just feel really good. I know I'm in for a good day today. And then you talk to somebody else and they go, yeah, I'm feeling really good. My knees feel incredible this morning. Like, they're bending. I can go down and I can go up. And they just feel really good this morning. I know I'm set up for a great week ahead. You think to yourself, man, this is a bit odd. Like, maybe they must have had something wrong with their elbows or their knees to, to now notice that they're, 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 they're good, that they're, that they're healthy. Because elbows and knees are parts of the body that, that we're not actually meant to notice, are we? They're inconspicuous, they're behind the scenes, and we actually only notice them when something's wrong. We only notice when they're, they're broken or when there's pain or something that, that points our attention to them. But the same should be true of our ego, our inner self. So think about how often we might kind of be disproportionately offended by how someone thinks about us or what someone says about us. How often, how much mental energy we we put into thinking about how people think about us, how people are treating us, how, how whether we were disrespected or slighted. Think about all the time and energy that we put in to thinking about ourselves. Well, it's evidence, isn't it, that, that actually something within us is broken because we're not actually designed, like elbows and knees, to think about ourselves in that way. We're not designed to, to obsess over how we're doing internally. It's not meant to occupy so much of our thought, but we're broken. We're turned in. And so we do focus on what is actually meant to be inconspicuous. We're on the lookout for glory for ourselves. And it's fitting that that Peter would use this phrase, clothe yourselves with humility. That's why preachers and sneakers are so eliminated, because it is so tempting for us to clothe ourselves in that which might get us glory now. That which is obvious 
to give us glory now. But Peter wants us to clothe ourselves, make it obvious, make it uh, uh, present to the world humility. Clothe yourselves with humility. Wear it so that others can see it. Because God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. And so let's do a heart check for a moment. I won't, do, I won't ask you if you're humble, because if you say yes, we all know that it's, it's not the right answer. Uh, but is humility something that you are consciously pursuing? Is humility something that you are actively, consciously pursuing? Is it who you are hoping to become? Maybe think about when, when was the last time that you got on God's side and, and joined God in opposing your pride? In actively repenting for the pride that lurks in your heart. You know, today is a good day to do that. This week is a good week to get started toward that end. The church should be the household of humility, the home of humility. We need to know the gospel, that apart from God's grace to us in Jesus, we are guilty sinners worthy of eternal damnation. And yet in God's grace and His mercy, we are adopted as sons and daughters in Him who are looking out on the way to glory. So that should drive us toward humility. Now if we need help to pursue humility, we've come to the right place because Peter turns next to the how of humility. He tells us what it's going to look like in our lives. And so in verse 6 down through to 9, he says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And so there are at least three things that Peter points us toward here. The first he says is to live under the mighty hand of God. Peter wants us to be consciously living under the mighty hand of God. He charges us to to lift our vision beyond ourselves and see actually who's really in charge. God is in charge. C.S. Lewis, the author of the Narnia series, he's a great thinker about moral, moral virtues like humility. He once wrote, In God you come up against something which is in every respect immeasurably superior to yourself. Unless you know God as that and therefore know yourself as nothing in comparison... You do not know God at all. As long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. And so to truly look up and see God, to truly be conscious of the reality that that there's a hand at play in your life and it's, it's it's not your own, it is the mighty hand of God. That is the beginning of Humility. And so don't let my practical or don't let Peter's practical points here fool you. Practical points can't make us humble. 
There's no, there's no how-to, three-step process to humility because as soon as you start working on your humility, you'll get proud about working on your humility. But we can pursue humility and it looks like getting outside of ourselves and seeing the mighty hand of God. In another one of C.S. Lewis's works, The Screwtape Letters, uh, this is a book where he, he writes about a kind of a fictional account of, of uh, devils uh, working to try to tempt and, and change uh, and deconvert Christians. And he has this imaginary conversation between the older devil, Uncle Screwtape, and his younger devil, nephew, Wormwood. And they're trying to tempt a Christian into sin. And so the older one says to the younger, I see, your patient has become humble. Have you drawn his attention to the fact? Catch him at the moment when he's really poor in spirit and smuggle into his mind the gratifying reflection, by Jove, I'm being humble. And almost immediately, pride, pride at his own humility will appear. And so we're not going to be humble if we think about more about our own humility. And the goal is not to think about ourselves, but rather to live in light of God's existence, God's presence and God's power, the mighty hand of God that hovers over and in our lives, that at any moment, God can give and God can take away. That God would be right and worthy of worship, whether He deals out justice or whether He deals out mercy. We should live consciously under the mighty hand of God. And one way that we know that we are doing that, Peter says, is number two, to be cast in all our anxieties on Him. Cast all your anxieties on Him. And so Peter wants us to pray. I once read a tweet that stung me. It said, The greatest sign of pride isn't the presence of boasting, but the absence of prayer. The greatest sign of pride isn't the presence of boasting, but the absence of prayer. See, to shoulder the cares and the anxieties of life on our own by living a, a constant cocoon of concern and worry looks to ignore the, the, the mighty hand of God. We don't need to harbour all the hardships of life on our own. Because the mighty hand of God isn't, isn't there out to get us. It's not there against us. Now Peter says, cast all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. God Himself, the Creator, cares for you. He knows every hair on your head. He knows every pain in your past. He knows all the baggage you brought in here this morning. He knows all the worries that you have in your heart. But to wallow in our worries is to ignore the presence and the power of God and instead to, to pridefully say, no, I'm gonna, I got this. I'm going to take this myself. See, humility, sometimes we get it wrong. Humility doesn't look like just doesn't look like having low self-esteem. No, humility requires great confidence. But confidence in someone else. Confidence in God and not in ourselves. And so your prayer life is a great indicator on the dashboard of how your heart is going, of your inner life, because it signals how your humility is going. It reminds our souls of reality, that we are really, really small and helpless, and God is really, really big and powerful. And that same God 
cares for you. And so if we walked around or if we looked around in, in this room and we had kind of like a, a barometer above our heads of worries, we would see that, that all of us are carrying worries even here to church this morning. And God wants us to take that barometer. He wants to take us that, that list of worries and he wants us to, to just become really good at baseball and, and throw these anxieties on him, to cast them off ourselves but onto him. And so what does your prayer life say about where your heart is at? What does your prayer life say about how you are looking to the mighty hand of God? Are you casting all your anxieties on him? The third thing uh, that Peter says is for us to be watchful. Be watchful. He wants us to know that there is a real danger in the world. He said in verse 8, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And so we have a real enemy, we have a real adversary, and we can be a bit naive to this reality because we are discipled into this way of thinking that it's purely empirical. That's purely whatever is physical, observ- physically observable in our world. That's what we focus on. But you can't be a Christian and deny the reality of the spiritual world. That there is a, a real enemy. And as the saying goes, the, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world that he didn't exist. Now, there is a real spiritual enemy. Jesus tells us in the Gospels his top three priorities. To kill, steal and destroy. And so the devil and his, his servants want to devour the faith of the church, to devour the faith of people who are trusting in Jesus. And in the context of what Peter goes on to say, where he says that, hey, resist him, stand firm in your faith. Know that actually the same sufferings you're experiencing are being experienced by everybody around the world. We know that Peter's wanting us to see that sometimes the devil's going to use our suffering to cause us to deconstruct our faith to shame us and to shame the faith. And so suffering can can cause us to doubt, and we've probably all experienced it. But when we have that doubt, we can either be driven toward Jesus or we can be driven away from Jesus. Perhaps shave off what's difficult. Perhaps we want to start twisting the truth to get us out of whatever the the, the tough points are that are causing us to, to conflict with the world. And so we might end up with a version that is not countercultural at all, but at least it's comfortable and at least it's safe. But there's something spiritual behind such compromise. The devil himself might just be at work. And so we need to be watchful, to be watchful and be sober-minded. And so be considered in our thoughts, considered in our reactions to our sufferings, to go back to last week, to not count it as a surprise when we suffer. Because everybody who's trusting in Christ is suffering in certain ways. And so Peter has been drilling this into us, that suffering isn't a surprise, but rather it unites us with Jesus. That suffering isn't punitive, rather Jesus himself has already paid the penalty for our sins. And so we need to not judge Jesus by our circumstances. 
but judge our circumstances by Jesus. He reigns. He sees. He cares. And he will give us glory one day. So, three points for the how of humility. To live under the mighty hand of God. Cast all your anxieties on him and finally be watchful. And that leads us to the final few verses in the entire book. Let's talk about the hope for the humble. Peter writes in verse 10, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. And so as significant and weighty and painful as the pressures of being a Christian may be, Peter reminds us something that he brought up in week one. They are for but a little while. And after you and I have experienced this for a little while, the God of all grace will restore, will strengthen, will confirm, and will establish you. And so Peter wants us to end the book by being pointed to the end, where glory awaits. If you are in Jesus, glory awaits you. And we know a little bit about what that is going to look like and what that is going to feel like. No more tears. No more pain. No more distance from God. No more pressure. No more fighting against pride. No more struggling to hold fast to the truth. Humility won't be hard anymore in glory. And instead, there'll be eternal rest. It'll be a massive family reunion crowns of glory, an eternal sense of security, home with the God who cares for you, and joyful worship of Jesus forever and ever and ever. And so here is the big idea of the book, the big idea that that Peter has been wanting to beat into our heads over the last 10 weeks, that hard times come upon Christians because hard times came upon Christ. And yet glory is coming for Christians, because glory has come for Christ. And so keep trusting Him. Keep following Him. Keep pursuing Him. And keep expressing the the way of Jesus in humility in your own life. Peter ends the book, bringing up Silvanus, the faithful brother, who's written briefly along with Peter, Exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Stand firm in it. Keep trusting Jesus. Keep pursuing Jesus. You know, early on in our marriage, Jules and I had the opportunity uh, to spend a few weeks in Europe. And we did all the classic touristy things. A lot of Instagram photos with the X-Pro2 filter because that was the only one that was available at the time. (laughs) A lot of crepes in Paris. And we ended up going to the Colosseum and the Roman Forum in Rome. And in its heyday, the the Roman Forum was the center of day-to-day life in Rome and of the Roman Empire. It was the site of triumphal processions, elections, the venue for public speeches, the the heart of commerce in the Roman Empire. Uh, Wikipedia calls it the teeming heart of ancient Rome. The teeming heart of 
of the Roman Empire. And so notice what we've looked at for the last 10 weeks. Notice, notice what these you know, five pages in my Bible make up. Here's Peter, a guy who's been punished and likely imprisoned, writing to the outskirts of this big Roman Empire. A few churches on the, on the fringes of this empire. To second-class citizens, Christians who are increasingly receiving kind of suspicious stares, being punished because of their faith, certainly have, have no upward mobile prospects in their life. They're not getting a promotion anytime soon. They're not kind of coming into money anytime soon. Peter's writing to those people. He's writing to people who right now are maligned and mistreated and the next generation, their children and their grandchildren are probably going to be killed for their faith. We know that generations after writing this, thousands of Christians would would lose their lives as Rome tried to stamp out this, this new movement which didn't bow the knee to Caesar. And guess what? Jules and I paid 20 bucks to walk through the ruins of Rome. was tyranny back then, became a tourist attraction today. And at the same time, two and a half billion people around the world, from all tribes and all tongues, are now worshipping Jesus. And so, brothers and sisters, what we experience in our life might be a struggle. Life's hard. The pressure that you experience might be real and felt, but see it in light of where we're headed. There is no power. There is no pressure. There is no intimidation. There is no suffering, no pride that can oppose the plans and the purposes of God in the world and in your life. As He takes us as living stones to build His spiritual temple, His church in the world. And so we are on the way to glory. Nothing can stop Him. No one can get in the way. Let's hold on for the right. Stand firm in it. Keep trusting Jesus. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace will himself, he'll do it, himself, restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish to him. Be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. I'm going to pray now. And I'm going to pray a little bit longer than usual. I'm going to pray through the whole book of First Peter. It's not going to take 10 weeks, but I'm going to pray through First Peter for us. But before I do that, I wanted to give you some space, give you a, a, a quiet moment uh, for you to be praying uh, and, and connecting with God yourself. And so please come before God right now. And in a minute or so, I'm going to lead us in prayer. But maybe you need this time to come before him and repent of your pride. Maybe you need this time to come before him to to cast those anxieties onto him or to come before him and anticipate the glory that is coming. Take a moment now and I'll lead us in prayer soon.
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You, Lord, have caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We praise you for winning our salvation, for keeping our inheritance, for sustaining us, if necessary, through various trials. God, you have fulfilled what the prophets of old spoke about in sending Christ to suffer for us and for his subsequent glories, having risen from the dead. We give you all the glory for what you've done. And God, we pray that you would make us holy as you are holy. Help us be sober-minded and set our hope fully on the grace that is ours in Christ Jesus. Help us love one another from a pure heart because we've been born again through the living and abiding Word of God. Help us put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy. Lord, we repent of these things and ask that you'd help us to step into who you have called us to be. Living stones being built into your spiritual house. A chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for your own possession. Lord, help us live as people who are free. Not using our freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Help us be subject to the authorities that you place in our lives. Help us be mindful of you when we suffer and follow Christ who entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Lord, if we are to suffer, let it be for righteousness' sake. Knowing that Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Since he suffered in the flesh, Lord, help us arm ourselves with the same way of thinking. Help us put away what we used to want to do, that we might be self-controlled and sober-minded. Help us love one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. And let us not be surprised at the fiery trials we are to endure. Rather, let us rejoice, because the Holy Spirit is upon us. Finally, Lord, help us clothe ourselves in humility. For you oppose the proud, but give grace to the humble. And so may we humble ourselves under your mighty hand, casting all our anxieties on you, because you care for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you care. Protect us from the evil one who prowls around looking for someone to devour. May you protect our faith. And we thank you that none can snatch us out of your hand. After we've suffered a little while, God, we long for you to restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish us. Help us follow Jesus in suffering, that we might follow Jesus to glory. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Well, church, let's stand and sing and respond to the whole book of 1 Peter in song. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.